0: Welcome to this special edition of the Virgin Active Minds podcast. We are committed to exploring and shedding light on mental health throughout the show. And in recognition of are You U OK? Day, we've selected some of the best mental health moments for you to listen to today. Hear from a range of guests discussing mental health from a number of different angles, from gut health and flow state to movement and community. Here we are. Mental health advocate, Nick Brax. And we are here to talk about mental health. I think we've all got a bit of an idea on what mental health is, but some of us might think of it differently to others. What does it mean to you? What do you think mental health is to you? And what's the importance it holds for you?
1: Yeah, for me, mental health is, uh, you know, really being self-aware, making sure that you're being honest with yourself, making sure that you are on a daily basis doing things that are healthy for you. So whether that be, and that can be different for everyone, but whether it be, you know, for me using my example, it's I exercise every day, I meditate daily, I write gratitude lists, I make sure that I, you know, a lot of my work I'm having to be self-motivated. So I make sure that I've got a routine and, you know, got people keeping me accountable and have people that I can connect with and get enough sleep and, you know, all those sort of things. But I think, yeah, mental health gets, it's a lot of it's intangible. So, when we say to someone, you know, what what does physical health mean? And someone that's into fitness, you know, it's like this tangible thing where you can see it and you can physically see the results a lot of the time. But then mental health, it, it, it often isn't. So, it can be a bit confusing. So, I think for me, it is all of those things. And, you know, trying to just make sure that I can be the best version of myself and always be, you know, not be too critical on myself, but also be challenging myself enough to be looking at, to be honest enough about, hey, these are some areas that I need to improve in and here's some people that I can get some advice on off from that and realising that, you know, uh, there's, no end, there's no end point. I think you don't just, you know, grow to a certain point or, you know, create personal sort of progress where then you stop. It's like you, you never stop learning. So I think that's what mental health for me is.
0: The Gut Health Doctor, Dr Megan Rossi. In this podcast, Active Minds, we love to make the connection with mental health. So let's dive into that now. I'm guessing it's probably a bit of a two-way street, right? Like gut health is going to help promote positive mental health. A negative mental health could have a negative effect on our gut health. I mean, that's just me kind of imagining that maybe there's this two-way street. But what's your thoughts on this?
2: No, absolutely. You don't need to imagine it. We now, we now certainly do have the science that shows there is an ongoing two-way communication between our brain and our gut. And you know, if you think about it, we have historically known there is a connection there. If you think of, you know, the English language, all the metaphors we use. I've got a gut feeling. I can't stomach someone's behaviour. Someone gives me the shits, <laughs> and all those sorts of um, metaphors. So we, we've known that there is that link there. But I guess. We now have the science to explain how that works. And one of the new key players to this link, of course, is those trillions of of bacteria that live in our gut. And if we get a little bit into the science, you know, there is three main mechanisms which we think these gut bacteria can talk to our brain because obviously they're in very different parts of our body. So The first one you can think of kind of like a mobile phone. So it's this electric signal that zips up via our vagus nerve. Uh, that connects our gut bacteria to our brain. So the microbes essentially like zip messages up that way. So call up on their mobile phone and, you know, talk to our brain that way. The second way is kind of like an alarm system. And that is when the bacteria activate our immune system. Remember that 70% of our immune system lives in the gut. So they're, you know, living side by side. So the bacteria sense something's going on. They activate the immune system. The immune system then produces all inflammatory markers. Which then can, you know, alert our brain uh, that something's going on, and then this third uh, pathway um, is where the bacteria actually produce chemicals. So when they eat things like that fiber, they digest the fiber, they produce these beneficial chemicals, which then get into our blood. And that can then some of them pass that blood brain barrier. So that's kind of like the postal service. So there's three ways which we think the bacteria can talk to the brain. So the mobile phone, the alarm system, and that postal service. And we now, you know, have these really remarkable clinical trials, uh, which shows that how we nourish our gut bacteria can have a very uh, significant and clinically meaningful impact on our mental health. And, you know, I talk about this in a lot more depth in my book, but um, just very quickly, uh, a landmark study uh, was undertaken by some brilliant researchers in Australia leading the way uh, from the Food and Mood Institute um, led by uh, Professor Jacka. And what they did, it was called the SMILES trial, is they randomized people who had actually moderate to severe depression, so they had diagnosed depression, to either getting this gut-boosting diet, um, which was a very much a Mediterranean diet. And I'll talk a little bit more about what that was. Or this, con- or they had this control group, which is like a um, kind of a counselling group. And a- having that counselling group was actually really, really important to make sure any benefit in the diet group wasn't because they were seeing the dietitian or the researcher, but actually because of the food. So two groups, one was diet, one was a control counselling group. And they followed either the diet or the counselling group for 12 weeks. And they came back and they reassessed their mental health using these validated questionnaires. And what they found in the diet group, 32% of them had a significant improvement in their depression scores, which would classify them as no longer clinically depressed. In the control group, uh, that was only 8%. And I just, I love quoting that study because I just think it's such a powerful way to show that people with, you know, moderate to severe diagnosed depression were able to really change, you know, their outlook on depression via nourishing their gut through the right nutrition. Now, just as a disclosure, all patients stayed on the medication. So if people listening to this on medication, certainly don't just stop that and go cold turkey with diet. But certainly uh, the way that I work with, you know, people in clinic is that, you know, they stay on the medications as prescribed and then we look at their diet, nourish their, their gut bacteria through diet, and then working with their um, prescribing uh, physician of the, of the medications. In many cases, we've been able to reduce the dosing. And, and for some patients, which I, I talk about in the book, they've actually come off the antidepressants, obviously, with the support and agreements of, of their physician. So it's super, super powerful stuff.
0: Entrepreneur, Sir Richard Branson. If you could recommend three things to our listeners in regards to well-being, mental health, physical health, what
3: would those three things be? I mean, do everything you can to get a good night's sleep. I mean, you know, that, that that's good. Uh, surround yourself with friends that you can lean on and and um, family that you can lean on um, and celebrate the good times together and, and help you get through the bad times. And just do everything you can to just find the time to get to keep fit. I mean, you know, people think that they not going to be able to find the time to keep fit. Uh, they're too busy. Um, but actually, you know, if you do find the time to keep fit, you're going to be able to fit in an extra two or three hours uh, into your day. So, you know, it pays, it pays for itself many times over. And then I'll just add a fourth. And that is that it, it, it is important to sort of set yourself a, a a regime. I basically go to the gym pretty well every day. But uh, for half an hour or so. But, um, if you, if I, if I miss one day, most likely that'd be okay. But if I miss, you know, two days, then, then and, and, and this applies to everybody, people then think, Oh, well, maybe I won't bother this week, you know? So, uh, you know, so I think, you know, either go every day or every other day, uh, and just try to make sure that you have, you have a routine and you, you sit with it because once a routine's broken, it's it's difficult to get back on track, um, in the same way that it's, you know, if somebody for instance has given up drink or you know you know been to a drug rehabilitation center and if they you know if they lapse you know lapse once it's, it's just so much more difficult to get back on track so i think you know try to try to have some relatively strict rules um uh, but make sure it's you're, you're doing something you you actually enjoy and i think you can get a lot of enjoyment from it um if you're doing it with the right people
0: neuroscientist
3: dr paul taylor
0: mental health is a is always a massive thing and it's even more so right now post 2020 and into 2021 um i've heard you talk um about another two things um attention mm-hmm. and flow yeah. state and again when it comes to yoga these are big things for us um so can you talk to us a bit about that like you know having or being you know being attentive yeah. and being flow. And how that can uh, work with or around um, any mental health issues or that feeling of discontent or unhappiness. Yeah.
4: So, so let me take flow state first. So, um, flow was was actually created by a psychologist called uh, Mihai Chesmet Mihai, right? And him and and Seligman had something to do with it as well. And 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 the tr- true flow state it is where the demands on you are, are quite high but your skills are also quite high and and you go into this 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 kind of altered state slightly altered state of consciousness where where time just kind of disappears and 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 everything just flows beautifully so um an athlete you know performing well that is is flow state and um, doing certain types of yoga would introduce uh, flow state as well so there needs to be challenge there but there also needs to be high skill right so so that is what right. what flow right. the real um academic um, version of flow was all about and then there are you know there's versions that that people talk about but it's being highly engaged in the present moment right where you're not your mind is right. not wandering And you're highly engaged in the present moment. And it's generally driven by that. I'm doing something that's hard, but I have the skills, right? And and there's a very nice graph people can Google about flow and you'll see how everything changes when you either, um, there's too much, um, challenge and not enough skill or too much skill, not enough challenge. That's boredom, right? So that, Mm -hmm. that, that is, that's flow and attention. I think is hugely, hugely important and it's a real tool. That 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 we can use for for mental health, right? So our brain, my, your brain, my brain, everybody else's brain, it, it's basically it's a thought producing machine, and there are certain stimuli in the environment that will stimulate us to have certain thoughts, right? So let's take anxiety, depression, poor mental health. You ask people with anxiety or depression, they want to get rid of their anxiety or their depression, and 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 it's really quite interesting. Um, uh, my wife has, uh, she's qualified in Japanese psychology, and I had her, her mentor on my podcast, uh, Greg, and, and, and he talked about anxiety is where we are overly concerned and focused on, and our attention is, is all on the future. And depression is very much about the past and having our attention on the past. Uh, and, and it's really about the ability to shift our attention. Um, that you're having these negative thoughts. And some people say, I just want to get rid of the bad thoughts. I want to get rid of the negativity. I want to get rid of the anxiety. And certainly in Japanese psychology, which is very similar to acceptance commitment therapy, it's not about getting rid of them. It's about making room um, for those thoughts, but it's really about where you put your attention. So you can choose to pay attention to those negative thoughts. And when you do, it gets worse, right? Overthinkers will know this. When they start Mm over-analyzing something and they're paying attention to it more and more, it grows, grows. right? You feed it. You're thinking about stuff that makes you sad and you pay attention to it. It gets worse. The depression gets worse when you focus on your depression. The anxiety gets worse when you focus on the anxiety. So in these modalities in acceptance, commitment therapy, Japanese psychology, and also stoicism, stoic philosophy, they're, they're all about where you choose to focus your attention, right? And, and, and Viktor Frankl, um, who's a Jewish psychiatrist who was imprisoned in Auschwitz, um, you know, created a new type of psychotherapy based on the horror said, we all have the ability to choose um, how we react to our circumstances. So we can choose where we put our attention. And so there are a number of techniques, um, um, grounding techniques. Like when you find yourself rumi- ruminating in those negative thoughts or, or anxiety, it's just like, look for the color blue. Right, that, and I get people to do it right now. Just look around you. Look, see, see where you can see the color brew. This is also about you know focus on your breath. Put your attention on your breath. Put your attention on external stuff, right, rather than internal. Because people who are depressed and and anxious, their experience becomes very internalized. So one of the tools that a, that a good coach can do is teaching them to take that attention from a, an internal experience to an external experience, Uh, whether it's using breathing or looking for the color blue or dropping anchor or a number of different tools to just shift your attention. And and then it's linked to the whole idea uh, of what needs to be done, right? And And that is stoic in nature, and it's also Japanese psychology and acceptance commitment therapy. They all are in violent agreement about this as well, is yes, I feel shit. Yes, I'm having negative thoughts. However, I'm going to shift my attention away from that. And what needs to be done right now? Like what what towards move that we talked about earlier? What towards move can I do right now? Right? Okay, I'm feeling shit. Yeah. I don't feel like going to the gym. But what could I do right now? Yeah, I, I could probably do 30 squats. Let's do that. And let's focus all our attention on doing that. So it's just about gaining control of your attention, I think is, is hugely, hugely important for people.
0: Director of Curriculum at Precision Nutrition, Krista Scott-Dixon. And another thing that can potentially help to hold the project together is support, right? Community, family, partner, coach.
5: We have a saying around Precision Nutrition, which is that the best athletes have the most coaches. And it's interesting because like regular people tend to think of coaches, so not, not everyone thinks this way, but many people feel like, well, If I have to go and get coaching or or counseling or therapy or whatever it is, if I have to get help, then somehow it's because I have failed or I am weak. Like it signals some deficiency in me that I can't do it all myself. And I think this is like a very Western philosophy kind of idea, right, that we have this misconception that somehow as an individual, we should be able to know and do everything which is ludicrous. Like I can't fly a plane. I can't build a road. Like, I, I rely on other people <laughs> to do these things for me. Right. Um, and so, so support and guidance is massive. Like human beings are social animals. We're social species. And so like, there is nothing in which we should be working alone. There's no sphere. Now I'm not saying you can't act individually. I mean, I'm an individually motivated person. Most of the time my activities are solitary, but you know, Everyone, no matter what their inclination, will benefit from support and community and and some kind of, you know, relationship organized around their goal. So, again, like you said, it could be a supportive partner. It could be um, I've recruited my partner's daughter to help me uh, with healthy cooking in the household. Right. So it's like, OK. Um, like my partner is not super motivated, but I'm like, Ooh, how can I get his daughter involved? You know? So now she's, now she's working on dad, right? Hey dad, we made a salad and you have yes. to eat it. I'm like, yeah, you have to eat it. Cause she's your daughter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've, I've kind of like, you know, <laughs> chosen a sneaky angle on that one, but, um, it could be, I mean, I think getting coaching is huge and you know, like nothing worth doing can be done alone. That's one of our mottos. Um, so I think people really underestimate the degree to which, community matters and again it could it could even simply be going to a place where everyone is doing similar things so even if you have almost no interaction with them going to the gym where everyone else is working out can make you feel like you know what i am i'm with people who are kind of grappling with the same questions and struggles as i am
0: head of yoga at virgin active australia kate pippos What could you tell us about mental health, mental self-care and transformation?
6: You know, my meditation teacher once said that the driving force of evolution is wanting to feel good. And I totally believe that. And I also think it's why we keep coming back to exercise, or at least I like to think that it is. Looking great is a byproduct of the exercise that I do. For me, I, I've really discovered that I have to move every single day. It's it's non-negotiable. I know that if even I get to the second day of not moving, and I discovered this through an injury last year, I get sad. I get stuck. I get really just like, oh, you know, there's all the science around serotonin and dopamine and, and you know, endorphins and all of those things that I'm sure you guys can Google and get the actual science behind it. I think just that wanting to feel good, it's kind of an addiction as well, I guess. That is really a mental mantra, right? Wanting to feel good is something that does come from the inside. Wanting to look good, a bit more of an external thing, but wanting to feel good and making that the reason that you get up and you move. There is nothing more powerful than that, I don't think. And, and recognising that you really deserve to feel good, I think that's another piece of it, right? You know, I, I like myself enough and enjoy my own company enough and care for myself enough to really want to feel good.
0: Wellbeing educator, Meg Durham. What's the greatest misconception that people have about wellbeing? Maybe that's one of them, that it's just one aspect of your life um, and therefore that one aspect should fix everything. But what, what do you think it is?
7: That it should be easy. Like everything should be easy. It should just flow. It should be effortless. That's a really big myth because I know some of my greatest growth has come when I've actually had to just grind away. Like I have just had to keep showing up and then it gets to a point where it's easy. So that's the first myth. The second myth is Thinking that it's one and done, like, yeah, I'm good, like, I'm sorted now, like, tick that box, well being done, sorted. It does not work like that. It is a daily practice of showing up for ourselves. You know, it's a daily practice of noticing what our minds and our hearts and our bodies need from us and then responding responding accordingly because it constantly changes. You know, day to day, what we need changes and also seasons of our life, things are changing if people have got young children or they've got parents who they're dependent on, you know, things change and so our approach needs to change. And so that's something that's a real myth when it comes to wellbeing is that there's this one size fits all or it should be simple and it should, you know, five steps. It's not. It's not simple. It's not linear. It's completely messy and it's very personal and yet we have to have a real strategy
5: approach to it. Professor and Specialist Physiotherapist, Peter O'Sullivan. That really is the big
0: message here, right? And I, you've kind of just answered my last question there also around, you know, what can we do ourselves and how much do we need external help? But it, it, it sounds like, you know, there's some things we could be trying uh, yeah. that might, you know, help improve things, but there will be other times and other moments. Yeah, And that's like for everything. It's like for our mental health. There are times where, you know, we can ride through rough times and we can survive and we can lean on our friends and family or, you know, people we care for, and that's okay. And there are other times we just need additional help, and that's because we're all human. And I put we in that. Like we're all, all of us are vulnerable at points in time in our life, and that's just because we're human. It's like it's how we are. it's just what we're made of. and I, the, the quicker we acknowledge this stuff, the much easier it is for all of us um, to go, that's just how we are." And uh, you know the broader the broader conversations around this are really important because it destigmatizes pain, mental health and all these other things that come to just dealing kindly with people. Our understanding of our commitment to And the nourishment of our mental health is key to our overall well-being. As I'm sure you've discovered and already understand, mental health plays an important role in absolutely every corner of our lives. I hope you discovered something in this episode that could help you set an intention for today. And if you need more from these guests, then head back to the full episodes and dive a little deeper. My intention for you today is to ask yourself, are you okay? And I want you to sit and listen to the answer that arises without force,
5: will or expectation. Just sit and listen. The answer will come. Are you OK? Remember, you can head to the RUOK website,
0: www.ruok.org.au, for many
5: more resources. All my love. Bye for now.